Is Arkansas's K.J. Jefferson or LSU's Jaden Daniels the best quarterback in the SEC? That is a case for debate, and we will get into those SEC quarterback rankings here today on this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. We'll also discuss why Nick Saban can't stop smiling and what it might mean for the upcoming season, if it means anything at all. But first, John, I wanted to get into some possible party wreckers in the SEC. And these are teams, the way I define this as is you're not picked to finish first or second in your division. So we're excluding Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, Tennessee from this conversation. I don't think we can define them as party wreckers. They're supposed to be among the four best teams in the SEC this year. Preseason polls would support that as well. So those four are removed from the equation to be a party wrecker. I've got four other teams, though, that I'm going to pitch to you as potential party wreckers in the SEC. We'll see what you think about each of these. You all right with that? Sounds good to me, Blake. Well, I'm going to make my best pitch first for Ole Miss. And Ole Miss, they got the portal king on the sideline, as we know, and Lane Kiffin was at it again. I think Ole Miss has upgraded their receiving core through some transfer additions like Trey Harris, like Sakari Franklin. Those were two guys that really played well at group of five schools, put up huge numbers there. They also added Caden Prescorn, tied in from Memphis. Got a couple interesting tight ends now on the roster with Prescorn and Michael Trigg. Trigg didn't really live up to expectations last year. The USC transfer or seemed to get beyond the field as much as maybe was projected, but still they got two tight ends there that are pretty interesting. And, and Jackson Dart showed a lot of potential in his first year as Ole Miss's starter, but didn't always have consistent decision-making, made some mistakes in the red zone, too many blunders. They brought in a couple transfer quarterbacks to unseat him. Nobody did. The word out of Oxford is darts a little bit better. If that's the case, I think Ole Miss can be a party wrecker in the SEC West. I wonder if Lane Kiffin, when he's recruiting high schools, he looks for players who might have transferred from one or two high schools to another. It seems to be working pretty well, especially it's got some defensive help. If you look as part of the season when they were struggling, Ole Miss was struggling, the offense wasn't that good. I think they averaged in the last six games, they averaged about 23, 24 points a game. Ole Miss needs to score a lot of points because I think it'll give up plenty of points. I just don't see it as a big party record. I don't see it beating, uh, I don't see it beating Alabama. I don't see it beating LSU. I wonder if it can beat Texas A&M. So I just really don't see Ole Miss. But of the names you're probably going to give me, I'll probably like it more than some others. How about the idea that Ole Miss has changed defensive coordinators to Pete Golding? I know Pete Golding may have worn out his welcome a little bit at Alabama. I don't think Alabama fans were too sad to see Pete Golding go, but I do think he's an upgrade for Ole Miss. I think he'll change up that defense a little bit. It'll be less of like a three-man front drop eight situation. The Ole Miss defense toward the back end of last season, I thought the word to describe it was soft. I mean, it looked really soft against Arkansas in particular. It got gashed repeatedly. Uh, it looked soft, particularly in the second half against LSU. It looked pretty soft against Texas Tech. I mean, that was kind of the defining word throughout the last month and a half of the season for the Ole Miss defense last year. I sort of like the defensive line of that group. A lot of familiar faces brought in a transfer middle linebacker and Monty Montgomery from Louisville. I think that could be an upgraded unit. Not upgraded enough for your taste, do you think? Well, it may be. I mean, Ole Miss played some close games. I'm not writing Ole Miss off. I think it has upset potential, certainly. But I still wonder about some things. The way it finished the season in that a Texas Tech bowl game kind of lingers. Uh, and I'm not, I'm still not sold on Jackson Dart. Um, 
the whole quarterback system to me, the whole situation with the quarterbacks is really odd uh, to bring in Walker Howard from LSU, especially Spencer Sanders, a proven quarterback at Oklahoma State who's had injury issues but played a lot of football, played in a lot of high-pressure games. Maybe Jackson Dart raised his game, but I just remember him last season. He produced some highlights, but then there was some sort of inexplicable plays he made to get you beat. And I will have to see him perform at a higher level. And if he doesn't, I would think I would think Lane Kiffin would try somebody else at that position. I mean, yeah, they you, do have, are you they do have options. Are you, are you sold on him going on Jackson? Jackson Dart? Dart? Yeah. Um, not based on what we saw in the past several weeks of, of last season, you know, much like the team itself, I thought he, uh, his better moments were earlier in the year. I thought he fizzled a little bit late as the competition got a little bit better. I guess I am a little bit encouraged that he has retained the starting job. I mean, that, that you could look at that one of two ways, right? Either a, the glass half empty is they brought in two transfers and oh my gosh, neither one of those guys were good enough to unseat Jackson dart. So Ole Miss is going to have some problems on its hands at quarterback. The alternative to that is Jackson dart wasn't bad last year. He was a middle of the pack quarterback in the conference. And if he was able to retain the starting job, even with these two transfers coming in, that tells me that he's probably improved this off season. And if he can show year over year improvement, I'm not saying he'll go from Matt Corral like he like Corral did from year one to year two as a starter for Kiffin, but I do think there's the possibility Dart gets better in his second season starting for Kiffin. That that's a glass half full approach, and I guess I tend to believe that a little bit more because I just think these with Walker Howard and Spencer Sanders here. I know Sanders hasn't been healthy a hundred percent, but I think there's enough there that if Dart didn't improve, I don't think he'd be QB one right now. Uh, one, one other thing that concerns me about Dart is uh, he's a really good runner. That's not a concern, but he's a little too aggressive sometimes, and, and he's taken a lot of hits. Uh, he doesn't shy away from contact, and that serves him well as a relationship with his offensive teammates. They all love that. Uh, he tries to, If he tries to run over a linebacker or safety, that's – that. Uh, yeah, teammates like that kind of stuff. Your offensive line does, but – the fact that he 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 sort of uh, he wasn't as good late in the season. I wonder how much of that was all the hits he took because he took a lot. All right, so you're you don't hate my first pitch for party wrecker. No. You think there's there's a few holes in the case as well. Let's let's move on to one I've got for you from the SEC East. As the off season progresses, John, I think I'm starting to value Kentucky just a little bit more. And and maybe I'm being sucked in by some of the hype I hear elsewhere. But after last season, Kentucky really didn't do much with Will Levis at quarterback. You know, finished seven and six, but limped to the finish line, lost three out of its last four. I was I, I was pretty down on Kentucky finishing last year. But as the offseason's progressed, my my outlook has brightened. And now my pitch would be that this collection of skill position talent is maybe the best collection that Mark Stoops has ever had. When you look at the wide receivers of Barry and Brown, Tavian Robinson, Dane Key, the transfer running back from Vanderbilt, Ray Davis. Ray Davis is pretty good. Flew under the radar because he was Vanderbilt, but that's a that's a that's a pretty good pickup out of the portal for Kentucky. And then you add Devin Leary for all the NFL draft hype that Will Levis received throughout last season. I think Devin Leary's the better college quarterback. We saw that when he was healthy in 2021 at NC State. He threw 35 touchdown passes, had just five interceptions. This is a guy that's won big games throughout his career. I mean, if you remember, if you remember the hype for Devin Leary was really off the charts coming into last season. Well, last season didn't go as expected. He dealt with injury. Didn't play the full season. He had off-season surgery. But again, I keep coming back to, this is a guy that two years ago led NC State to a win over Clemson. He beat Florida State on the road. He's got some good wins on his resume. And you know that Kentucky defense is usually going to be pretty solid. So if the offense and the offensive line 
can gain some respectability. That was not a typical Kentucky offensive line last year. It was a, it was a weak spot. But if that unit approves, I think Kentucky has the skill position talent to be a party wrecker in the SEC East. I agree with you. Uh, I'm kind of on the same uh, wavelength there about Kentucky. I've changed my my uh, evaluation of Kentucky over the course of the offseason, even though nothing's happened. I guess it started out after watching them play Iowa in a bowl game. Uh, it's hard to get shut out these days in college football, and Kentucky managed to do that, and that kind of stuck with me just a Dreadful offensive showing. I know there were some reasons for it, but so that stuck with me. But over the course of the offseason, I started to think I'm probably undervaluing Kentucky. I really like its receiving core. Um, Devin Leary, you're right. He has two years ago a really good quarterback in the ACC. Not as same as being a really good quarterback in the SEC, but still, it's. Uh, I think it's go, coming in, if you go back to when, when Will Levis transferred from Penn State, he was a backup quarterback. He lost his competition to Sean Clifford. Nobody expected that much of him. Devin Leary comes in. Is probably a, He's a much more proven commodity coming in. So uh, Ray Davis from Vanderbilt, if you can get – what he rushed for? Did he, did he make 1,000 yards last year? He came close if he did. He okay. did, yeah. That – that's a mon- monumental feat at Vanderbilt. It's not easy to rush for a thousand yards there. So give him some credit. What I what I wonder about with Kentucky, and the reason I I question whether it could mess up the season of a Tennessee or or even a Georgia, is depth. I once you get past that starting lineup, you get past that front wave of receivers. The quarterback in particular, uh, Ray Davis at running back. I just don't know how good Kentucky can be. And uh, I also wonder about the offensive line. It got that reputation of having a really good offensive line. Uh, But it wasn't so good last year. And I don't know that it will be markedly better this season. So those are the concerns I would have about Kentucky. But if you can keep everybody healthy, uh, particularly on offense, it's a it should generate more points. So there's there's that's a reasonable expectation that it could upset a team. And uh, if the defense again with defense just like offense, I wonder about Kentucky's depth of talent. Okay, so depth and offensive line are you are your two two concerns as far as what I've pitched the skill position group, yeah. the fact that they'll probably be pretty reliable on defense again. You add in offensive coordinator Liam Cohen, who was there in 2021 when Kentucky's offense was better than it was last year. Granted, last year set an awfully low bar. You buy some of those arguments, you just see see some flaws in the plan here. Yeah, I I just yeah think I could see how things could go sideways with this team because of depth, and maybe Kentucky has some young players that I really don't know about. But I know last season when it had to go to its bench, it was in trouble, especially when it had to pull in a replacement for Will Levis. Yeah, that was absolutely true. All right, I'm going to get pitch you another one from the SEC West, John, and I'm hoping you'll like this one maybe even better than my last two pitches. Because Texas A&M, normally big things are expected of the Aggies, and they often fail to live up to those expectations. That was certainly true last year. Preseason number six in the country finished five and seven. I feel like there's been a little bit of an overcorrection, a buyer's remorse move in the polls this year. Texas A&M number 25 in the preseason coaches poll, number 22 in the preseason AP poll. But let's get past last year's record and let's look at what Texas A&M actually brings back. And I think there's a lot to like about this team. I think this is a scary party wrecker in the SEC West, or at least it has that potential. And I start with the wide receiver group. And you talk about Moose Muhammad and Evan Stewart. Evan Stewart coming off that that fantastic freshman season. And what a lot of people forget, John, is they also bring back another receiver, Anaya Smith, 
who was a pretty good player, but got hurt early in last year. Among all the things that went wrong for AM last year, his injury uh, was sort of overshadowed, I think, with the, the loss to Appalachian State and then the free fall losing streak after that. But, you know, he got injured in September. They have him back this year. I think it's going to be a really good receiving group. Uh, I think Bobby Petrino can do good things for that offense if Jimbo Fisher will let him. I do think Jimbo Fisher is going to have Bobby Petrino get his hands on this. I know Jimbo is too prideful to say it, but I do think Bobby Petrino is here for one reason, and that's to get his hands on the offense, facelift it, and call the plays. Jimbo doesn't want to admit that Petrino is going to call it. I do think Petrino will call it. And you look on defense, defense was not the problem for AM last year. I think it's going to be steady again this year. That defensive line in particular is loaded. No team in the SEC returns more starters collectively, John, than Texas A&M. I think they got eight back on both sides of the ball. So I know they're picked to finish third in the West. But being at the bottom end of that top 25 and all the conversation this offseason as it pertains to the SEC West mostly revolves around, is it going to be LSU? Is it going to be Alabama? Alabama's got to play at Texas A&M. We remember what happened when they went out to College Station two years ago. So I do think A&M has the pieces to be a disruptor in that division. I have a really hard time arguing with you on this. Maybe I debunked uh, Kentucky and uh, Ole Miss, but Texas A&M to me, I agree with you. I uh, had a lot of players hurt last year and has a lot of players returning. And it also has players. It also has depth because it had so many injuries last year, uh, both sides of the ball that younger players got experience. This is a very experienced team. Uh, the wide receiving core that uh, Evan Stewart and Anaya Smith, that, that combo could be right at the top of the league. Uh, how good will Connor Wigman be? that's something I'm not sure of. But when you talk about a team that could wreck a national championship contender season, this belong, A&M belongs at the top of the list. It's uh, Go back to last year, it beat LSU. I mean, it was struggling terribly offensive, but it, offensively, but it played really well against LSU, won that game, wasn't really close. Uh, so now I see a team that's, that's really good in both the offensive and defensive line. I think it'll be better in both areas this year. So this is a, you're right. This is a scary team. And maybe I gave Connor Wegman too much credit last season because the, the, the situation was so volatile for the Aggies at quarterback. You just couldn't count on anybody. And he came in and sort of stabilized things. You don't think of a freshman as stabilizing things, but he did that. Uh, didn't make any mistakes, killer mistakes uh, against LSU. And also, I know Alabama was playing without Bryce Young, but A&M was within a play of beating Alabama last year. So they have the pieces where on a given Saturday, they could they can beat anybody. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they beat LSU or Alabama uh, in an upset. You said Alabama goes to College Station. That is a that is a huge stadium full of very loud. And as you mentioned, AM won before there against Alabama, and that was with Zach Kelzada at quarterback, who mm-hmm. was uh was not exactly a marquee player. He was uh pretty much uh pedestrian at best. Uh so if it could do that, I think LSU LSU and Alabama, when they look at the at their division, I bet both programs are more fearful of A&M and what it could be than they are any other team in that division. I think most people would predict, John, that A&M will finish third in the West. And if you're not predicting they would finish third, you probably have them slotted fourth, no, no lower than fourth. So let me ask you this. What do you think's more likely if you can't pick them to finish third or fourth in the West? What's more likely? They finish at least second in the West or they finish fifth or worse in the West? They finish second. Okay. So you you do like this one then. You you clearly like this one the best of my. Yes. You think they oh, have yeah. some real potential to finish as high as second. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. You're on board with this one as a potential disruptor in the West. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to win you over on my final one because I'm going back to the East, but I'm not going in the direction that I think maybe you would, John, with South Carolina. I think that's too easy of a pick. I'm going with Missouri. Brace yourself. I'm going with Missouri. Now, hear me out here. Missouri's defense was actually pretty sneaky good last year. I know we we still have some of those images of 2021 Missouri defense in our mind. If you clear that out, Missouri's defense was much improved last year. They returned eight starters off that defense. So that side of the ball should be pretty good. You also go back to last season. They finished six and seven, but they snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory against Auburn. Literally fumbled away what they were inches, a game they were inches away from winning, inexplicably fumbled it away. They also lost to Kentucky in just a bizarre situation with some officiating, a, a weird punt play. So a couple of strange losses for Missouri last year that easily could have been flipped. You flip those two games, they finish eight and five last year. I know there's still questions at quarterback, deservedly so. Brady Cook coming off a mediocre year last year. Maybe that's even being a little kind. Had off-season surgery. The optimistic outlook would be that he comes back better after that surgery. But the other thing I would say is with the Miami transfer, Jake Garcia, and with Sam Horn, a redshirt freshman. Now Sam Horn was really re- highly regarded as a recruit. I don't think he was ready as a true freshman. But maybe if Brady Cook doesn't give you enough this year, you have better options behind him, and you can turn to to Jake Garcia or the redshirt freshman Sam Horn. Luther Burden uh, is is back at wide receiver. So that's my pitch for Missouri. It's built mostly around the defense. It's built also around the fact that they very easily could have finished eight and five last year, and I think they have a a little bit better chance for improved quarterback production, whether that be a more healthy Brady Cook or options behind him. That's a tough sell, particularly a tough sell with me. I mean, you you mentioned uh, the defense. You're relying on that defense. Be real good. I watched Tennessee score 66 points on Missouri. Kansas I State. Feel, I had a feeling that was going to come up, John. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you did. Yeah, up. you got to uh, got to be ready to counterpunch. Uh, Watch Kansas State score 40. You talk about if certain things very easily could have flipped a couple of games and won eight. That's what strikes me about Missouri in recent years under Elijah Drinkwitz. And I I think the world of him personally. Don't get me wrong. No, you do. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, okay, okay. He's a good quote. But I, I when I look at Missouri, I see a team that I'm convinced will find a way to lose. Offense, defense, special teams, whatever it takes, Missouri will find a way to lose. Missouri had Georgia on the ropes last year. And I'm sure Georgia the whole time is thinking, well, it's Missouri. And I'm sure maybe it's fans did too. But that's what I was thinking. If this were somebody else, another mediocre team, perhaps it could pull off an upset. It caught Georgia on a bad day. So maybe, but I don't see that with Missouri. I see it as a high mark for Missouri is coming close to good teams. Yeah, you can almost turn Missouri into a verb sometimes with the way they fritter away chances to win games. (laughs) Like, ah, they mazooed it. Or yeah, they Missouri'd the game against Auburn. Uh huh. Yeah, they they definitely Missouri'd the game against Auburn, no doubt. And I think you raised some fair points. And maybe I saved that one for last. Maybe I should have got them out of the way first. But I, I wanted well, to save the most far fetched one last. I knew you'd have a hard time going for that idea. I tried to butter you up with Texas A and M. I thought you would go for the Aggies being a disruptor and and finishing having the chance to finish higher than projected, but. I, I thought Missouri might be a tough sell because I know you covered that game against Tennessee where Tennessee ran them ragged. Oh. I, kn- I knew you'd watch that Kansas State game. You'd watch that Auburn game where they just just blew oh. it with a 
just boneheaded play. Uh, yeah, it was I, I knew much, it was going to be a tough sell. Yeah, that was uh, that Auburn game. If you like bad football, bad SEC football, that's a game hopefully you recorded because that was two teams playing giveaway. I have a friend, a Missouri fan, who uh, – not fond of Tennessee after the way it beat up on the Tigers last season. He came to the game in Knoxville, and he's convinced that Rocky Top song played a uh, hundred times. And he's sick of that song. And when it was voted the top song in the SEC, he emailed me and said it made him sick at his stomach when he saw that. However, I so I said, uh, "Does Missouri have a fight song?" And shockingly, it does. You just didn't hear it very much in that game. No, did do, do you? Did you know Missouri had a fight song? Yeah, I covered him for. Well, I know, but still, I mean, fight I've tiger fight Missouri. for Ole Mizzou, something, something like that. Uh, I, fly I'm not your great col- with these fight songs, but yeah, fly yeah. your colors high is the line I remember. Fly okay. your colors high, yeah. Okay. All right, so well, you're flying those colors high. I'm trying. Okay. I'm trying. You're not okay. you're not buying it, but you no. bought a couple a little bit. I think you you bought Texas A&M pretty fully. Uh you didn't buy one, but I'll I'll settle for for that average. Want to see John if you buy into my SEC quarterback rankings as we leave the disruptors and party wreckers behind and get onto this this quarterback's rankings published recently. You can find it over at usatoday.com and throughout the USA Today network. I ranked 1 through 14, whom I project as the starting quarterbacks for each SEC team. So sorry, Garrett Nussmeyer. If I could consider backups, you'd probably be in my top 10. But I didn't consider backups in these equations. I considered strictly only whom I consider projected starters. So let's take this in groups of about five at a time and you raise any red flags that you see here in my SEC quarterback rankings. And let's go ahead and start at the top, because I think the debate maybe is, is most interesting in this group. So here's my one through five. Number one, K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas. You know, John, I'm a big K.J. guy. I think he's, he's sometimes viewed as this, this runner, this guy that trucks over linebackers and safeties. He's been incredibly accurate the past two seasons, doesn't throw many interceptions. Um, I think he's a sure-handed quarterback in addition to being a really good running quarterback can, can give you some of those, those quarterback power type yards. So I have him number one in a very close battle uh, with, with Jaden Daniels at number two. I didn't really consider, give strong consideration to anyone else for those top two spots. I, spots. I think it's got to be some ordering of Jefferson and Daniels. Rounding out my top five, I'm high on Devin Leary with Kentucky. He's all the way up at number three, followed by Joe Milton at four, and I think George's Carson Beck is a potential breakout star. I have him at number five. We've seen him be really comfortable as a backup the past couple years. It is a much different challenge being the starter for a team with this level of expectations than just doing mop-up duty, Uh, but I am a believer that uh, that Carson Beck will keep that Georgia offense humming at a pretty high level. I have him in, at, at number five. When I look at K.J. Jefferson, and I like quarterbacks who can run over linebackers, I love watching him play because there's that expectation of this memorable highlight video that he can create. He's become a better passer than I thought he would. So I like K.J. Jefferson. I don't see him having the supporting cast. Uh, I wonder about Arkansas's wide receivers. When you put him ahead of Jaden Daniels, see, there's no way I would have uh, KJ ahead of Jaden Daniels at LSU. Well, let me ask you this, John. Uh If if they switch teams, would you still have Jaden Daniels one or is part of that based on the, the supporting cast? If KJ was on LSU, would you change your thinking or no? Mm, that's a good question. I might. Several things I like about Jay Daniels is like KJ, he's improved as a passer. He's pretty accurate now. But when he gets in the open field, I mean, this guy's like a wide receiver running out there. Uh, he can make he can make an 80-yard touchdown run. He can turn a 10-yard gain into a 50-yard gain. 
he's just a big play machine in my mind. And I love his receiving core. So I just think he's got a really experienced offensive line. So that is part of it. I mean, that's part of it. So I would have Jay Daniels ahead of him. Devin Leary third. See, I would have Spencer Rattler. He I, be, I knew that was going to raise a well, red flag with you. I know how high you are in Spencer Rattler. Well, I mean, you look, he didn't play well for South Carolina in the first part of the year, but I don't know if any quarterback would have played that well for South Carolina. I'm not sure exactly what South Carolina was trying to do offensively, but when its running back core became depleted, they said, well, I guess we need to hand the ball to uh, Spencer Rattler and let him do what he wants to do with it. And so he pretty much passed everybody silly. Three nationally ranked teams, Tennessee, Clemson, and in a loss to Notre Dame. Uh, he threw 10 touchdown passes in those games. So, yeah, he forces things sometimes, but he can really make plays. He can create stuff. As the NFL scouts like to say, he can make all the throws. And we remember him from Oklahoma as – the guy that lost the starting job. But look to whom he lost the starting job, the best quarterback in the country. And the year before he lost the starting job, he put up big-time numbers. He completed better than 70% of his passes, I think, at Oklahoma. So I'm really high on him. And, yeah, I know he was inconsistent in South Carolina, but that, added to me, had as much to do with what South Carolina was trying to do offensively. So I'd have him right behind Jaden Daniels, one, two. You'd have Rattler, two, and Jefferson, three. Is that right? Yes. And Devin Leary, see, these other picks, you are really looking at the glass half full on these guys. Devin Leary hadn't played in the SEC. He was hurt last year. I think he will do really well. And if he does, third's probably about right. But there's still some uncertainty there with, with him. Uh, Alternatively, though, John, Devin Leary has more on paper than what Joe Milton does. I know no, a lot I agree, of people. I agree with, with that. I'm saying yeah. all three of these guys, though, there's some questions about Joe Milton in that offense. I think he can be really good in Tennessee's offense with Josh Heupel. I, I know he his history is he's lost a starting job two times in his career. That doesn't happen often. A lot of guys don't get us a second chance, much less a third one. So I have questions about Joe Milton, but I think he would do really, really well. I would probably, because of that and because of, I'm so sold on Josh Heupel's offense that I would probably have him ahead of Devin Leary. Carson Beck, he's got a really good supporting cast. He's got a an NFL arm, uh, He's not the runner Stetson Bennett was. But I still wonder about him. How will he fare under in pressure situations? I just don't know. If you go back to 2021, Georgia people, a lot of them thought he would be the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Stetson Bennett, as he did throughout his career, he said, no, I don't think so. I'll win the job again. He did, and the rest is national championship history. And for whatever it's worth, John, by all accounts, Carson Beck had a very good spring. I know neither one of us put a ton of stock in spring practice, but there there wasn't reports coming out of Athens of, oh, don't know if Carson Beck's up to the job. It seemed like he put to bed a lot of that throughout the spring. Now, I know there's an attempt to kind of prolong the drama of, oh, maybe Brock Vandergriff wins the job. That's just sort of your classic preseason camp narrative, I think. I think it's going to be Carson Beck, and I don't think there's, there's really much issue there. Yeah, I really think Carson Beck fits what Georgia wants to do offensively, or I should say what Kirby Smart wants to do better than Stetson Bennett did. I mean, Stetson Bennett wasn't a caretaker. He was a big playmaker. He 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 was the offensive MVP of all the playoff games he played in. Yeah, and kind of lightning in a bottle, really, too. I mean, like, yeah. you know, it, it, like you said, caretaker really, especially last year, wasn't the word for Stetson Bennett. I don't know that Carson Beck would will be a caretaker, but I do think what you're talking about, he's, he's probably more of a prototypical drop-back, pocket passer, 
which is sort of, I think, what we think about maybe when we think Kirby Smart and the offense evolved in a little bit of a different direction for Stetson Bennett. I think with Carson Beck, it gets more to a bit more of what we think about when we think sort of a Kirby Georgia type system. I think there were a lot of times last season where Kirby Smart thought, oh my gosh, what are you doing, Stetson? And Stetson's answer was, well, I'm scoring a touchdown. How's that? Yeah, the no, 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 oh yes type of thing. And I think this is the best collection of receivers Georgia's had in the Kirby Smart era. I I agree, for sure. I I mean, uh, Lad McConkey. uh, well, I shouldn't begin with a wide receiver. I mean, Brock Bowers plays anywhere he wants to. So he's a tight end, an all-American tight end. But they're just you, – you add Dominic Lovett from uh, from Missouri, got a 50-something passes last season. Rara Thomas had a good season with Mississippi State. Uh, just a real – just a really good bunch of receivers – Versatile receivers, some who can really stretch the field, some who can make touch catch, tough catches. And then you have Brock Bowers, who seemingly can do anything he wants to do on a football field. So Beck has a lot of weapons. So I, I wouldn't argue with that too much, even though he's an, he's an unknown quantity. I just wonder how he will handle pressure. And maybe, I, I mean the big the big thing you have with these rankings, John, because I want to get into to the second half of this list here. But the big thing you have with the top six of my rankings, because Spencer Rattler is my number six, is you would flip Jaden Daniels into the number one spot. I don't really have much argument with that. I'm fine with anybody putting Daniels one. I'd go in a different direction, but I think there's cases uh, a, a good case to be made for Jaden Daniels. No argument. Big the big difference in our rankings is I have Spencer Rattler at six based on the Jekyll and Hyde nature that we saw from him last year. You go back to mid-November last year, before the Tennessee game, Spencer Rattler had thrown more interceptions than he had touchdowns. Now, to your point, I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that would have struggled at South Carolina the first couple months of of that season. Um, But that seems to be the big issue here. You'd have him at number two, and then that sort of, kind of resets the playing field a little bit. You cycle my other guys down. You'd probably, it sounds like, flip Joe Milton and Devin Leary, but not some big arc. Yeah, but that could go either way. I mean... Yeah, the, the, the big issue is I have... The big issue you see is I have Rattler at six. You'd have him up at number two. And don't get me wrong. Last season, when I watched Spencer Rattler play in the first half of the season, first of all, I noticed that the offensive line was one of the worst in college football. That was my assessment first half of the season. But that aside, I, he wasn't what I thought, and I pretty much wrote him off. And uh, then jumped back on the bandwagon with Glee when he roared down the stretch looking like a Heisman Trophy quarterback. So that's where I am now. Could change. Might change in the first game. That is a really interesting first game with North Carolina and South Carolina. Drake May, the North Carolina quarterback, could be the first guy picked. Be interesting to see how how Spencer Rattler plays going ahead with head to head with May. Which quarterback wins that uh, battle? And right now, I'm picking Spencer Rattler. <laughs> I'm not surprised with the way you <laughs> feel about Spencer that you're you're picking him to win that battle. All right, well that takes us through my number six because we've talked about Spencer Rattler. So let's go ahead and take the second half here. All all is one uh, because I don't think you're going to have much argument down toward the bottom of my list. Might be more of the the seven through ten range. So so here we go on my seven through fourteen. Number seven is Mr. Stat Stuffer Will Rogers at Mississippi State. Uh, he's put up more than uh, more than 10,000 passing yards. He did it in Mike Leach's air raid. Now Mississippi State is pivoting away from the air raid, so that admittedly is a question with Will Rogers, and frankly, that's probably why I, I didn't have him higher than seventh. But I still like him at number seven, followed by Jackson Dart, who we talked about in the opening segment from Ole Miss at number eight. Jalen Milrow, number nine of Alabama. To me, he's a high ceiling, um, also maybe a low floor type of player. We really don't know what to expect totally from Jalen Milrow. We know he's got tons of athleticism. Wasn't 
real steady handed as Alabama's backup last year to Bryce Young and, and a spot starter in that Texas A&M game. But based on the athleticism and potential, I have him at number nine, followed by Connor Wigman of Texas A&M at 10, Peyton Thorne, the transfer from Michigan State into Auburn at 11, Missouri's Brady Cook, we talked about him earlier, number 12, A.J. Swan of Vanderbilt, 13, and Florida's Graham Mertz rounding out the list at number 14. It is, I think it is sort of an indictment of what's going on at Florida right now and, and what it could be a tough season in year two under Billy Napier before possibly brighter days ahead. Uh, but I think Graham Mertz at, at number 14 kind of tells the story of, of what might be ahead this particular season for Florida. So there's my seven through 14. What jumps out at you, John? It is really hard to rank those guys. That's what jumps out at me. I, I mean, who knows with Jackson Dart? If if we get the uh, the best of Jackson Dart, he could crack your top six. You'd probably have him ahead of Spencer Rattler. Will Rogers, starting with Will Rogers, I just don't like him in a conventional offense. I I think he has a hard time avoiding. Will have a hard time avoiding a rush. He's very accurate. Uh, but I wouldn't have him as high. I would put uh, I would put Connor Wigman ahead of him. I would probably put Jackson Dart ahead of him. Uh, See, it's hard for me to put Dart ahead of of Rogers when we saw them go head to head last year, and and that wasn't Will Rogers winning that game for Mississippi State. It was more Mississippi State's defense winning the Egg Bowl last year. But it's just so hard for me to put Dart ahead because we saw Dart fade toward the end of last season. I know I made the argument earlier for improvement and it is a bit of a mystery how Will Rogers is going to do in a conventional offense, but I like what I've seen through three years of Will Rogers and it, it would be hard for me to, to drop him a little bit lower than seventh because he, he's got as good a track record in terms of just the longevity, we've seen it. He's been accurate for three years, but it is fair until we see him in a traditional offense. It is a bit of a wild card, no doubt. Yeah. I kind of feel sorry for him. Um, he played in a similar offense in high school, uh, similar with the air raid concept. Uh, and then he has Mike Leach as his coach for, for three years. And I'm sure, you know, he expected, of course he expected to have him for his college career uh, and and Mike Leach's passing uh, was a was a hard blow to all of college football, and I, I'm sure it affected Will Rogers as much as it's just about anybody. Uh, I just don't I, I can't get past that. I just see I've seen him under pressure in the air raid, and he's to me struggle with it. Can he make one guy miss in the pocket? Uh, move four or five steps pick up his receiver and hit him. I don't know that he can do that. Uh, that's my question about him. I would have Connor Wigman higher because he has a lot of talent around him in the receiving core. I think he was a five-star recruit at one time. But another factor in that, Bobby Petrino is really, is really good with quarterbacks. He had a lot of different types of quarterbacks wherever he's been at Arkansas, Louisville, wherever. I've seen him win with running quarterbacks, with prototypical drop back passing quarterbacks. I think that will that will elevate Connor Wigman. So I would have him seven. The rest of these guys, let me ask you this. If you could pick one guy out of this group, eight quarterbacks, you had to if you had to bet on one of them becoming, let's say, second team all SEC. Oh, that's a good question. I like who, it. Who, who, so I guess we're looking at ceiling here. Who could exceed expectations? Who who would you pick of, of all those guys? Of all these guys, starting with Will Rogers on down through the bottom of the list, hmm, that's tough because, you know, I think Jalen Milrow, he could be an exciting player for Alabama. All you need to do is watch him run the read option a couple times and realize, <laughs> I mean, this guy could be gone in a flash. You talked about Jaden Daniels and his ability to break off big runs. Jalen Milrow may be the one guy that can do it better than, than Daniels. We haven't seen it as much 
because it was limited playing time last year, but I believe in his ability to do that aspect of the job. I don't know, play to play, drive to drive, whether he's going to give you what you need out of an Alabama quarterback. Hard to say. That concerns me. Connor Wigman, boy, I just, I don't know. That That is a bit of a gamble to me. I mean, yeah, he was the quarterback for that win against LSU. He kept him out of mistakes, but he completed 12 passes in that game. He was he was accurate. He was 12 of 18, but we haven't seen him have to go out and, and gunsling his way to a Texas A&M victory. He'll be asked, more will be asked of him as a sophomore. He's a wild card. And I, I'm, I'm pointing out reasons not to pick guys. Uh, the bottom of my list, Peyton Thorne, Brady Cook, A.J. Swan, Graham Mertz, they're, they're not even entering my mind. So I guess it's got to be somewhere 7 through 10. I think I would pick maybe Jackson Dart, John. The problem with that, and I can't believe I didn't mention this earlier as I was making my pitch for Ole Miss, maybe it was just because it was such a given I didn't even bother to mention it. It's just accepted. Quinshawn Judkins is a stud. He's the guy. He's the focal point for Ole Miss, right? I think he's the best running back in the SEC. Might have a case for being the best running back in college football. And like I said, that's probably why I didn't mention him in the opening was I just thought, well, we all know Quinjon Judkins is a given at Ole Miss, and they need the guys around him to be there. So that would be my hesitation with Dart is I think it's going to be more of a run-heavy offense, but he's a very good running quarterback. And so if you looked at the complete package – you know, of what he gives you as a runner, if he improves as a passer, if he cuts down on the mistakes, if he's a little better in the red zone, I guess I would give him the highest ceiling. If we're talking about an all-conference type quarterback from this group, 7 through 14, I'd probably pick Dart. I would too, uh, simply because of his upside. You look at his highlight tape, and if he can improve on that, if he can uh, bolster that highlight tape and have more highlight plays and fewer mistakes, he would, to me, he has the bigger upside. And he does have talent around him. I just can't, I can't see Will Rogers doing that. And now you could say, I guess the second pick maybe would be, I would choose between Connor Wigman and Jalen Milrow. I think Jalen Milrow will be the Alabama quarterback, but I'm not 100% certain. Uh, because you're right, watching him run in the open field, it's not just, he's a maybe faster version of KJ Jefferson, not quite as big, but he runs strong. He would be a hard guy to tackle in the secondary once he gets going. We saw glimpses of that last season. So I guess uh, Milrow and Wigman would be my other guys that I would look at, but Jackson Dart simply because he's got a good offensive line. If he's more consistent, maybe he could be that kind of quarterback. All right, John, let's close with this, because I promised in the opening we'd touch on all smiles, Nick Saban. He's been lighting the Internet ablaze lately because he smiled a few times this preseason. Ooh. And uh, the armchair psychologists on the Internet, which it's full of them, as you know, uh, they can't seem to decide whether this means that the SEC should be terrified because Nick Saban loves this team. He's at ease with this group. He's happy. He's confident. Or whether this is a sign that Nick Saban's out to pasture and uh, he's stopping to smell the roses as he's in the twilight of his career. and He's lost his edge. He doesn't have the same fire in his belly. He's out here smiling at press conferences. Now, I tend to think, John, all that's a bunch of baloney. I mean, the guy's allowed to smile at a press conference without it meaning a whole heck of a lot. He was smiling the other day because he told some funny story that Pete Rose said while he was in Tuscaloosa recently. The guy's allowed to have a sense of humor without there being some deeper meaning. My question, though, past all the armchair psychology, John, do you think Nick Saban actually has good reason to smile? I mean, on the one hand, you would say, no, he's lost his Heisman quarterback and Bryce Young. He has to replace both coordinators. Alabama's preseason number four. Normally, they're preseason number one, two, or three. So you have to go back to 2009 to find when Alabama's been ranked this low in the preseason. 
there's questions about whether Alabama can even win the SEC West, let alone win a national championship. You know, new face in the middle of the defense, no Henry Toa Toa, no Will Anderson off the edge. I mean, add it all up. You can come up with any number of reasons why Nick Saban shouldn't be smiling. Is there a flip side to that, though, that you see? I'm not saying this is why he's smiling. I think, like I said, people are allowed to smile without having it be different, a deeper meaning. But do you think there's there's cause for Saban to feel good about this group? No, I think he's bluffing. You think he's bluffing? Okay. I think he's bluffing. That's my uh, psychoanalysis. He's bluffing. That he, he, He's got you, like a su- suited connectors, maybe, pocket sixes, maybe a, a okay hand, but he... He's he's got to try to fake it and, and get everybody else out of the hand. You think? Yeah, he, he's trying to. Um, I just I think Nick Saban probably looks the unhappiest when his team looks unbeatable because mm. that bothers him. He doesn't like his team uh, getting too much credit, being compared to the greatest teams in college football. Yes, the rat poison. We get a rat poison poison rant when that comes around. Yeah, and that's nobody. Nobody says rat poison and smiles at the same time. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. So, I think he's bluffing. I think he should be very concerned about this team. Wow. Okay. All right. So you're you're in the camp that uh, uh, this is not this is not reason for the SEC to be fearful. Not at all. You're not afraid of those pocket sixes. No. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll 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 get into maybe some more armchair analysis next week, John. Especially if Nick Saban turns that smile upside down. If he frowns for a week, mm, that'll probably have some deeper meaning as well. We know that'll set the internet ablaze too. And you're you're upset over my Spencer Rattler. I know. I'll try to make it up to you next week. Or Spencer Rattler could just prove me wrong and prove you right how about that well if he proves me wrong i won't even i won't even remember his name by mid-season fair enough say who is that south carolina quarterback Uh, no just as long as our listeners remember us we'll be back with you next week thanks for listening to this edition of sec football unfiltered